Our scripture reading this morning for the sermon comes from Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 32. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word. And when the time came for their purification to the law, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. Words of power that can never fail. Let your truth prevail over unbelief. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. It was almost exactly, really close to 10 years ago that our family relocated to Middle Tennessee where uh, both Marilyn and I had grown up. And I knew it was true, I just didn't know how true it was that when we returned to Middle Tennessee, Williamson and Davidson County and surrounding counties, that there are songwriters everywhere. Maybe uh, the waiter that took your order at the last restaurant where you dined, or if not him, uh, the, the greeter, the hostess who seated you, or maybe it's somebody two rows from you this morning. They're everywhere. Songwriters are everywhere. And I got to thinking about this in a town filled with songwriters, where do all the songs come from? What is it like to write? And as someone who has never written a song, maybe some of you can tell me or help me where all these songs come from. There's a publication online entitled The Journal of Roots Music. It is the Journal of Roots Music. That's Americana. Roots Music is Americana, folk music of sorts. And their online journal is entitled, curiously, No Depression. 
I've thought about that as I was preparing for this, and it's actually probably hard to write a song if, if depression is what lingers or colors or shapes your, your mind or your life. Uh, one article on the website is entitled, Eight Ways to Cheat Inspiration and Just Write. But another one caught my attention, and it's this. What happens when you're a songwriter who can't write songs? Isa Burke is a fiddler, singer, guitarist, and songwriter based in Boston. And earlier this year, the beginning of this year, she wrote these words about that dilemma. At the depths of my worst writer's block, I've wondered whether maybe I don't actually want to write songs. I know now this about myself. I've come up with a few good songs before. I suspect in my better moments that I have the capability to write some great ones. I can feel these songs lurking somewhere behind my chest. It feels like that moment between four and five in the morning when you've been up all night and the black sky turns just a little bit blue and you realize it's starting to turn light. You can't see the sun, but you know it's there. A heart without a song is a bad place to be. And you don't have to be a songwriter to know that because some of you, some of us, have trouble singing. Not because of our voice or lack of, but there are things that make it hard to sing. There are things that rob the heart of its voice. I don't need to tell you that sometimes holidays are very hard. Sometimes the loneliness or disappointment or a sense of abandonment that has marked our lives bleeds into our attempts to sing, and we just can't. We might mouth the words, we might make a tune, but our heart is somewhere else. But here's what we find in our text today. Hope fulfilled writes a new song in our hearts. And the best song you will ever sing is like a chord of three strands that we find in our text. The best song you will ever sing. The best song you will ever write if you're a songwriter. But the best song that we will sing is a, has three themes that wrap together into a chord of three strands. The themes that we find in this passage before us today in Luke 2 are these. Faithful obedience, personal encounter, and joyful worship. The best song follows on the heels of faithful obedience. That's what we find in these verses at the beginning of Luke 2, 22. These first few verses wrapped together. When the time came for their purification... According to the law of Moses, Mary and Joseph did what was required faithfully. They were, they were faithfully following what was laid out and described the path forward. And in what might seem confusing, if you don't take time to untangle these, what we're looking at in verses 21, which we did not read, where Jesus is, is circumcised and named and then when the time for purification came, what we're looking at is uh, actually 
two separate occasions and three rituals. And when you get that handle, you begin to see how Luke has, has wrapped these together. We don't know how long Joseph and Mary and the Jesus baby were in the manger, but they were in and near the temple for 40 days. There's a chance that it was not simply a one-night deal. Odds are that they were there for over a month. We don't think about that very much. Where did they go? Well, they stayed because of their faithful obedience to the law. They were near the temple, and that's where they went in these days ahead. You see... Eight, day, eight days after the birth is when a, a baby son was circumcised and named. And it was 33 days later when the mother's purification, because of what she had been through, was required. The purification and the offering, 40 days after the birth of a son, we, we read about it and we sing about it, don't we? Uh, the two pigeons reserved for the poor. That was the offering that you offered when you could not afford anything else. Two offerings, one for a burnt offering, one for a sin offering. Without going into all of that, they were simply adhering to the law that was prescribed. And then, the, uh, <clears throat> and then wrapped around that was the dedication the dedication of the firstborn. And you can find the, the history of these in Leviticus 12 and Exodus 13, if you want to look at that later. But the bottom line here is what we see, this faithful obedience of Mary and Joseph was tied to a close adherence to the law. As we spoke about it earlier, it's the pattern that, that God gives us to fulfill our purpose as we step into what he's called us to be and do. But writing about this passage in a very helpful way, I found Michael Card writes that what we see here in their faithful adherence to the law of Moses was a picture of the world that would very soon begin to pass away. You see, the best songs follow on the heels of faithful obedience, and Mary and Joseph's faithful obedience to the law simply sets the table. It prepares a song to be sung. It was their faithful obedience that prompted what unfolds. So we see that the best song you will ever sing, the best song you will ever write, songwriter, is one that follows on the heels of faithful obedience. But the best song is the result of a personal encounter. We see that as we keep going in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. This uh, likely occurred, this happenstance miracle of meeting in this very crowded 35-acre temple complex where Mary and Joseph and the baby and Simeon paths cross. Uh, as we read the text, you, you can't really know that, but that was actually the scene. It was a 35-acre complex, and here they meet. We know four things about Simeon from this passage. We don't know much more than what we read in verse 25. We read that Simeon was righteous. 
Uh, that, that means just and upright. That was what marked his life. He was devout or full of reverence toward God. We see that come together in the fact that the third feature that we learn about Simeon is that he was waiting. That's actually where the accent falls in this song on Simeon's waiting, the song we're about to hear. You see, Simeon was representative of the old world, the Old Testament world in which faith was expressed primarily by waiting for God to make good on his promises. That's what faith was. It was waiting on God to make good on his promises. He, he knew the promises. He anticipated their fulfillment. And faith meant waiting. That actually helps you and, I, and us to read and understand the Old Testament, doesn't it? Waiting on what has been promised. That makes sense of, of the faithful obedience of so many that took those rituals that, that were to mark the life of a, of a believer, although they didn't understand everything that we, looking back, understand that they were pointing to. They were learning what it meant to wait. It's likely that during his waiting, Simeon pondered Isaiah. No, it's a, it's a certainty <laughs> that Simeon pondered Isaiah because much of what we hear in these words in the song that we're about to hear flows right out of Isaiah. Listen to verse 20, chapter 25, verse 9. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Don't you imagine that those words were, pro were a lot of what kept Simeon anticipating? And when he's, when he's described as waiting upon the Lord, he's actually fulfilling this grand picture that we get in Isaiah. That we wait on the Lord for his salvation. He's waiting for what? What we read here in this text, in this verse, is he's waiting upon the consolation of Israel. What you might not grasp simply by those words is the fact that that's actually a pointer. The consolation of Israel is not simply a, a four words wrapped together, three words wrapped together. It's actually signifying... A person. The consolation of Israel, you might actually capitalize. You see, the consolation of Israel points us to the Messiah. And here's how we know that. That Simeon also perhaps recalling Psalm 119, which reads, My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort or console me. These references you see to God's consolation and the Holy Spirit in this passage point ahead a couple of chapters to Luke 4 where Jesus will quote those verses. will quote Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord has come upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. 
Jesus understood, you see, as he grew, that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him in order to comfort all who mourn, including those of us who can't write songs because of the hole in our heart. At this moment, as Simeon waits, we also learn that the Holy Spirit was upon him. That's what we read not only in verse 25, but in the verses after you see the the work of the Spirit. Verse 25, the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon. That explains something of what's going on, if not everything. Verse 26, the Spirit reveals to Simeon that he will not see death until he sees the Messiah. And verse 27, the Spirit moves Simeon to enter the temple at just the right moment to see Jesus. Do you see how this is working? A righteous and devout waiter on the consolation of Israel. The Spirit is the one who is orchestrating and opening eyes. And the dawning of a song is the work of God's Spirit. It's actually true for us, isn't it? It doesn't matter really how righteous or just or upright or devout we are. It's only when the Spirit opens our eyes to see that righteousness and devotion and even waiting don't get us there. But the Spirit takes us there. The Spirit is the one who opens our eyes that we may see, as Simeon says, I have seen your salvation. And it came from his pondering and meditating on Isaiah. It came from his pondering and meditating on the Psalms. It came from out of the the focused intent of his heart and life, but it did not come until the Spirit opened his eyes to see his salvation. The best songs that you will ever sing or write follow on the heels of faithful obedience. They're the result of a personal encounter. You see, he took the baby in his arms. And while we will... Never take the baby Jesus in our arms. There is a personal encounter. There is a personal engagement. There's a personal interaction that occurs when the Spirit of God opens our eyes to see who we are and who He is and what He has come to be and do. And as we engage Him, as He engages us, the melody of a song and the lyrics to go with it begin to bubble. The best song you will ever sing or write ends with and centers on joyful worship. That's what we hear in this song. Taking the baby in his arms, Simeon sings a song. It will be the last song he will sing. It's the last song we will hear in Luke's gospel. It's a song that welcomes his death as a release and dismissal. 
Did you hear that in the words? Lord, verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. You are letting your servant depart in peace. But it's also a psalm that welcomes in the light of revelation to the Gentiles. And this is the groundbreaking reality that Simeon sings of. It's not simply that God has come to rescue Israel, but he has come to rescue the world. It is for all people. It is for all nations, for those in Greece. That's what Christ has come to be and do. A light not merely for Israel, but for the world. We only see the salvation of God by the Spirit. We've talked about that. But it's a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Again, Isaiah 42. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Talking about the Lord's servant. You will be a light for the nations. You will be a light for the Gentiles. And oh, by the way, that's almost all of us. <laughs> that's us. A light for the nations, for the Gentiles, for the non-Jewish people groups that have come into the people of God. Isaiah 49, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserve of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations and my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. The Lord has bared his holy arm, 50, Isaiah 52, before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Isaiah 60, and nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Is it any wonder that as Simeon holds a 40-day-old infant in his arms, as the Spirit opens his eyes to see who this is and what he has come to do, that Simeon would say, I'm ready to die. Are you ready to sing? Are you ready to sing with Simeon? Here's a test. It's a short one. There's the weight test. What is it? What is it that you are waiting upon? You might think about as we tend to this turn of the year, even season, that as you think, as you look ahead to what's, what's coming in, this, in the next 12 months, what are you waiting upon? A new year filled with a new start, renewed hopes. What are you hoping will finally occur this year? What are you hoping will be different? And Simeon shows us that the heart of our search and our waiting is the promise of God. The weight test, 
says, don't wait for the wrong things. Are you waiting on God? Then there's the eye test. Have your eyes seen his salvation? What truth has the Spirit of God revealed to you? What is he making clearer in, its, in your understanding of the fullness and the richness? You know, you will never get to the bottom of that well. You will never get to the bottom of that well of understanding the riches that are ours in Christ. But what is the Spirit opening your eyes to see and behold? And there's the comfort test. Do you know Jesus as your consolation? As your comfort? You see, Jesus was a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Isaiah 53. He wept and died in the dark that we could be comforted. You see, the tears of Jesus are the deepest consolation possible. And when our pain gets to the point that we turn to him, it is comfort that we find. It's not merely comfort that is prospective or future. But friends, here's the good news today. It is comfort and consolation today. That he meets us when we can't sing a song. When we can't put the words together. He meets us. And he finds us. And he comforts us. So there's the weight test, the eye test, the comfort test. Then there's the faith test. Has your waiting turned to following? You see, up until through Simeon's time, faith meant waiting. But after Simeon, faith means following. It means following Christ. As we faithfully follow him into this new year, we take the words of Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And we might could add a footnote to that and we'll be able to sing. I think that follows. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life and will be able to sing. And we'll be able to sing this song with Simeon. But here's the ultimate test. Are you ready to depart in peace? You know, we, we, we read this and we understand Simeon to be a man of old, an old man. And he probably was. Only because the evidence in the text suggests that he's, he, his, he has a cheerful readiness to die and his reference to a pending death. But it's not that clear that Simeon was old. Now, Anna was old, and, and they're paired together in the, in the verses that we didn't read today. And so there's a good chance that, that Simeon was elderly. But let me suggest to us today, of all ages, that these tests, the weight test, the eye test, the comfort test, the faith test, and this ultimate test, are you ready to depart in peace, 
is not merely for the elderly among us. It's for every one of us. Are you ready? Not that life nears an end, but is your life set in the redemptive promises and the fullness of the gospel? To depart in peace is to die with this sure hope. As the Apostle Paul puts it, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Are those words yours? If so, with Simeon, you are ready to depart in peace. You know, maybe you've heard the apocryphal tales of a million-selling song being written in 15 minutes on the back of a napkin. I guess that happens. More often, though, there are songs that, there are songs that seem to come out of thin air and write themselves in a relatively short period of time, I'm told. But songwriters tell us that the more common process of writing a good song is a variation of the old screenwriter adage, a good song isn't written, it is rewritten. Taking what our heart tells us must be true and reworking it and rewriting it and what God, God's word declares to us is true. It's taking our best efforts and rethinking them in light of who God is and the fullness of the redemption that is ours in Christ. And it may be that we have some rewriting to do in our own lives. And Simeon would say, go ahead, plagiarize. <laughs> Borrow a few words. Borrow these words from, from the song that he sings that follow on the heels of faithful obedience, that are the result of a personal encounter that could be yours today, and that result in joyful worship. And the reason that our worship is joyful, the reason that we can have a personal encounter with him, is because of faithful obedience but not yours, not even Mary's and Joseph's. It was his. His faithful obedience leads to the personal encounter and the joyful worship that becomes the best song we will ever write the best song we will ever sing. His faithful obedience. Our personal encounter with him. And the joy that flows in song. Sinclair Ferguson writes this. As we learn to love and trust the Lord, we believe the promises he has given in his word. 
They have become the spectacle lens through which we see everything, and that is what injects the melody of hope into our lives. And I would add, in a song into our hearts, he invites us to sing. We were charged last week to sing. And with Simeon, we borrow and step into the melody of three themes wrapped together that result in glory to Israel, glory to his people, but ultimately glory to him. That is God's word to us. As we finish one year and begin a next, may it be a year that we <clears throat> sing out and another year that we sing in. Father, would you help us the, to learn those words? To learn a song that you have given us that is the faithful obedience of our Redeemer Christ and his fulfilling the law and his actually taking the blow that was ours. And Lord, would you, by your spirit, open our eyes to encounter that, to engage you, to engage our Lord. In spirit, we look to you as the one who will do that work. As you open Simeon's eyes, open ours with truth that prevails and overcomes unbelief. In the name of Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.